to our podcast. This is Hypochondriac's Almanac, and we are stoked to be recording for you folks this evening. I'm Sarah, and this is Katrina. Say hi, Katrina. Hi. In case you were wondering, this is the podcast for all of you out there who are secretly thinking that you have a new disease every time you have a sniffle, a slight twinge, or a headache. It's not a tumor. We understand, we identify, and we have definitely scoped out WebMD more than a few hundred times. So let's talk about weird diseases, strange illnesses, crazy syndromes, and rare disorders. But before we get started, we need to talk about a few little disclaimers. First and foremost, we are not doctors or nurses or medical professionals of any kind. Katrina is studying to be a nurse. Why, Katrina? Word. But please, please, please do not take anything we say as medical advice on this show. We are not trying to treat you, diagnose you, or fix any of your medical conditions. If you have an issue, please see your doctor. Do not guess or take what we say as a diagnostic tool or as a treatment. We just want to talk about all these weird, fun parts of the medical world in the past, present, and the future. Let us jump right in. Um, today, we are going to talk about a little bit of a controversial topic, and the reason for that is because mental health is a very tricky, scary, confusing topic in this country that has a long history um, where people have had a lot of mistreatment with mental illness, and we still don't, I think, quite know how to take on folks that do have mental illness. So I'm going to first and foremost tackle the topic of schizophrenia on the show, and we do have a little bit of experience with that because we do have a stepsister that was part of our family for quite a bit of time that I don't know, do you know if she was ever formally diagnosed with schizophrenia? I don't. I don't know. I I do know that she, many conversations I remember having with her when I was younger were, we're not very strange. Her, we're not going to mention her name um, for privacy issues, but we did have a family member um, that had some symptoms that were consistent with this particular mental illness. And we don't know whether she received a formal diagnosis at all or whether she's even getting help now. I have not been in touch with her for a number of years. But it, it was a very sad, sad um, instance, and we won't get into detail, on for, again, for privacy issues. But to jump back into this topic, schizophrenia is a serious medical disorder. Um, it is a mental health illness where people uh, have interrupted reality. And it can result in a combination of hallucinations, delusions, and extremely disordered thinking and behavior that impairs daily functioning um, and can be debilitating. People with schizophrenia require lifelong treatment. Um, early treatment may get symptoms under control. I think I believe I got this from WebMD, um, just some of the symptoms and treatment. But people with schizophrenia... Um, can get their symptoms under control with um, with medication and with uh, therapy. Um, they can sometimes achieve somewhat normal lives, um, and there's a hopeful um, long-term outlook for some of them. But they really have um, to get those symptoms under control and to get that diagnosis and, and seek professional help because it's not something that you <laughs> it's not something people can treat on their own um, by any medical accounts. But it involves a range of problems with thinking and cognition, behavior, or emotions. Signs and symptoms can vary, but usually involve delusions, hallucinations, disorganized speech, and an impaired ability to function. 
Um, symptoms can include delusions, which are false beliefs that are not based in reality. For example, you think that you're being harmed or harassed. Certain gestures or comments are directed at you. You have exceptional ability or fame. Another person is in love with you. Or a major catastrophe is about to occur. Delusions often incur and most likely occur in people with schizophrenia. Hallucinations are also something that um, happens to people that have this particular illness. Um, but they involve seeing or hearing things that don't exist. For um, so a person with schizophrenia, they have the full force and impact of a normal experience, even though it's a hallucination. Evidently, hearing voices is the most common of the hallucinations for people with schizophrenia, but they can't experience mm -hmm. any one of those different um, variations of the hallucinations. Um, Can you imagine how scary that would be? Yeah. Because it's real to them. Right? I, I can't even imagine um, or begin to imagine how scary that would be. But disorganized thinking and speech are also uh, something that happens. Uh, disorganized thinking is inferred from disorganized speech. Effective communication mm -hmm. can be impaired, so they're unable to, in many instances, to express themselves and to ask or answer questions. They can sometimes will answer questions or ask questions that are completely unrelated to conversations going on around them or anything that's happening for them. Um, rarely, speech may include putting together meaningless words that can't be understood, sometimes known as word salad. Word salad, that's an interesting concept. Word salad. <laughs> Extremely disorganized or abnormal motor behavior. This may show in a number of ways, from childlike silliness to unpredictable agitation. Behavior isn't focused on a goal, so it's hard to do tasks. Behavior can include resistance to instructions, inappropriate or bizarre posture, a complete lack of response, or useless and excessive movement. Negative symptoms. Um, this refers to reduced lack of ability to function normally. They may neglect their personal hygiene, appear to lack emotion, they won't make eye contact or change facial expressions, and they sometimes speak in monotone voices. Um, they may also lose interest in everyday activities, withdraw socially, or lack the ability to experience pleasure. So it just really turns them into kind of like a, a monochromatic robot type person. Turn them into a zombie. Yeah, yeah. Symptoms can vary in type and severity over time with periods of worsening and remission of symptoms. So it can just come and go, which is even scarier because it seems as though something of that much of a terrifying nature being consistently present all the time seems like it's easier to manage than just coming and going randomly. Um, symptoms can vary in type and severity over time, um, and some symptoms will always be present. In men, schizophrenia symptoms typically start in the early to mid-20s. In women, symptoms typically begin in the late 20s. It's uncommon for children to be diagnosed with schizophrenia and rare for those older than the age of 45 to be diagnosed. Symptoms in teenagers are similar to those in adults, but the condition may be difficult to recognize. This may be because some of the early symptoms of schizophrenia in teenagers are common for typical development during teen years, like withdrawal, a drop in performance at school, trouble sleeping, irritability or depressed mood, lack of motivation. Um, compared to schizophrenia symptoms in adults, teens may be less likely to have delusions, more likely to have visual hallucinations, and then... Some of that can be attributed to drug use, alcohol use, experimentation, just doing things that kids often do today, which is even more terrifying. Um, but this particular site, I believe WebMT, recommends that you see a doctor, um, 
immediately if you suspect that you or somebody else might be suffering from this. But people with schizophrenia often lack awareness that they have difficulties which are stemming from mental disorder and that they require medical attention. So it often falls to family or friends to get them help. Um, they recommend helping someone who may have schizophrenia. Um, if you think they have the symptoms, talk to him or her about your concerns. You can't force them to seek professional help, but you can offer encouragement and support and help them find a qualified doctor. You can't force them to go, but if you suggest to them that, hey, you know, I'm in this with you together, I'm not, because people in this country are very scared of mental illness. We don't know how to interact with people that have mental illness, and there is no, um, no specific one way that people have been taught to treat people with mental illness. So it can be a very scary thing for the person with the mental illness as well as other people around that person. But if you or your loved one poses a danger um, to yourself or others, can't provide your own food, clothing, or shelter, then you may need to call 911 or other emergency responders to help so that your loved one can be evaluated by a mental health professional. In some cases, emergency hospitalization may be needed. There are laws on involuntary commitment for mental health treatment, but these vary state to state. You should contact your community mental health agencies or police departments in your area for further details. If you know somebody or are close to somebody who you suspect might need that help, we encourage you to seek out those mental health agencies and really find out um, what can be done to help that person? Because it, it is very, very important that if you suspect that they're dealing with this, that they get help because it could be disastrous if they don't. Um, some of them experience suicidal thoughts and behavior. This can be very common among people with schizophrenia because they don't know what's going on. They're terrified and they think the only way to, to end that is to end their own lives. Um, so suicide attempts are very common. Um, Call 911 immediately if you suspect something like that has happened or if you think their safety might be in jeopardy. Um, it is not known what causes schizophrenia, but researchers believe that a combination of genetics, brain chemistry, and environmental contributions can develop this disorder. Uh, problems with certain naturally occurring brain chemicals, including neurotransmitters called dopamine and glut glutamate, may contribute to schizophrenia. Neuroimaging studies show differences in the brain structure and central nervous systems of people with schizophrenia. While researchers aren't certain about the significance of these changes, they indicate that schizophrenia is a brain disease. So there are also some risk factors that are involved with this um, that could increase the chance of developing or triggering this particular illness. Um, and they are having a family history of schizophrenia, increased immune system activation from inflammation or autoimmune diseases, older age of father. Um, at the time of conception for the child, some pregnancy and birth complications like malnutrition or exposure to toxins or viruses that can impact brain development, taking mind-altering psychotic or psychotropic drugs during teen years and young adulthood, all the more reason to say no to drugs, even experimenting can be dangerous and can kind of create these symptoms in people, which is terrifying. Um, and in fact, I remember... Um, a gal that I went to high school with that played on the volleyball team with me for a short period of time was experimenting with acid and it triggered something, an experience very similar. I don't know if she was schizophrenic, but it triggered uh, schizophrenic symptoms in her. She would be running next to me in the gym doing laps and she would see like cats and just stuff running across her path in the gym in sort of an instance where 
clearly there was nothing there, but she thought she was seeing it after she took this acid. And I don't know if she had OD'd on it, but she was out partying with some friends and they had the little, you know, those little, the, the sheets of mouth fresheners yeah. that they used to sell, but she had taken a sheet of acid like that. And it was probably about one inch by half an inch in size like those little sheets, breath fresheners. And she said she took one and didn't feel anything. So she took another and another and ended up just near death on this stuff, just tripping out, tripping, completely tripping balls. And, um, after that, she was never the same. She had these mood swings and she slept and pushed everyone away. (laughs) I have this theory that a lot of, a lot of cases where people have mental disorders like that, I feel like it's triggered from, from taking drugs that's kind of a theory i've had i think that there's i think it's more rare for people to because i've met a lot of people with mental disorders and and it's there's always this common thread and and you kind of wonder how much of it is like they already had a mental disorder i don't know because but then they took the drugs and that like made it worse i've got to interject here though because there are many, many, many people with schizophrenia have been officially confirmed and diagnosed with it that have never taken drugs. Well, and that I, I believe that that's the case, but I just wonder how much of it is affected by pe- people who have taken drugs. I think that it's a factor. I'm not necessarily convinced that it is a, a higher percentage of those folks than anybody else. But in any case... Um, that is one factor that they say can cause a, a greater risk. But um, complications, if left untreated, schizophrenia can result in severe problems that affect everyday life. Complications can include suicide or suicide attempts, thoughts of suicide, self-injury, anxiety disorders, and obsessive-compulsive disorder, depression, abuse of alcohol or other drugs, including tobacco, inability to work or attend school, legal and financial problems and homelessness, social isolation, health and medical problems, being victimized, aggressive behavior as well, although that is a little bit less common, they said. There is no way to prevent schizophrenia, but sticking with a treatment plan can help prevent relapse and worsening of symptoms. In addition, researchers hope that learning more about risk factors for schizophrenia can lead to earlier diagnosis and better treatment. And again, this is very interesting because they say that a lot of people with mental illness struggle with or have a hard time taking their medication. They just don't want to take it for whatever reason. So it can sort of throw their system into a loop when you take medication for a while and then quit taking it cold turkey. can make it even worse than if you weren't taking the medication at all. So it is very, very tricky. Um, Self-diagnosis is not recommended. If you have some issues or you suspect that yourself or somebody else that you know has this, please, please, please seek medical attention right away. Talk to a therapist. Talk to a doctor. Get some help because there's just, you can't treat this yourself. Right? I I wouldn't try to treat myself for something like that. No, I wouldn't try to treat myself for any kind of mental illness. But in any case, um, Katrina this week has a story that is um, somewhat related to this particular mental illness. You want to jump in and and get us onto your story for today? Uh, Yeah. It's creepy, though. Tell me about it. So I 
have a story on Annalise. Is it Mitchell or Michael? I think it's Michael. Okay. It's spelled M-I-C-H-E-L. M-I-C-H-E-L. Yeah. I think it's Michael, but it could be Mickle. Who knows? Forgive us uh, for our mispronunciation if we are mispronouncing it. Go ahead. It's, um, this is, I pulled this off of mysticofthechurch.com. So, because they had a lot more information. The exorcism and death of Annalise Mitchell, why did she die? The true story. A unrecognized and misunderstood victim's soul. The case of a young German woman who died at age 23. That's so young. During a series of official exorcisms. Beginning on September 24th, 1975, Annalise Mitchell underwent a series of exorcisms. The official rite was administered. Sorry. Administered during. (laughs) Try During the. the course of 10 months by two Catholic priests, Reverend Ernst Alt and Reverend Arnold Renz, who were given permission to do so by the local ordinary Bishop Stengel, is when the exorcisms began. Okay, so this happened in the 70s. Yeah. Okay. During the early morning hours of July 1st, 1976, Annalise died of what an autopsy an autopsy later determined to be malnutrition, dehydration, yet without many of the normal accompanying physical signs of such, because she was not only under the care of her parents, but also two exorcist priests. Worldwide publicity immediately followed her sudden death, and afterwards, Annalise's parents and the two exorcists were brought to trial and were later found guilty of negligent homicide in a dramatic court case that garnered attention not only in Germany but throughout much of the world. Arnold Renz and Ernst Alt and Annalise's parents, Joseph and Anna, were sent to six months in prison, sentenced to six months in prison, which was suspended with three years probation and all incurred court costs. Additionally, the two priests were fined. The case of Annalise Mich- Mitchell is well documented in two books. Michael, Annalise, Mitchell, M- M- <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that one. There's also a movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. That's based and on, right? It's loosely the exorcism, based on the story. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of movies and books that were based on this. Contrary to normal procedures uh, on the case, but in the movies there were... Oh, wait. I just totally, sorry. Contrary to normal procedures, many of the exorcisms were recorded on audio tape. Oh, hell no. I could never listen to those because oh I my would God. freak out. I heard it. I heard the recordings. That shit is so scary. I literally, I had to turn it off because you can hear her screaming. You can hear different voices. It is nope. so freaky. I wouldn't be able to handle it. I can't even watch a movie about that kind of stuff. It scares me so bad. That stuff really freaks me out. If you go online and Google her name, you can see pictures of her too, and you can actually hear the recording. It just, oh. Nope. She was nope. such a pretty, just nice, normal-looking girl before this whole thing happened to her. It just It's horrifying. She, she is really pretty. I have a picture of her in front of me right now. The exorcisms were recorded on audio tape and have been subsequently 
leaked and released to the public over the years, which also has provided additional information concerning this case. Annalise's Michelle's death was a very painful case for the church in Germany and abroad, most especially for the priests and the local bishop involved. But the case did bring about some very important worldwide changes as to how exorcisms are now evaluated and performed. Because they still do those nowadays, I guess. Details of her case can be read in the above-mentioned books, and there are also many details on the internet. The emphasis of this article will be will be why she was possessed and why she died. A virtually unrecognized victim soul of the church. Annalise was a kind, loving, sweet, and obedient girl, but when she was possessed, it was something unnatural, something that you cannot explain. Statement of Anna Michelle, Annalise's mother, in 2005. Ooh, that was that was like 13 years ago. In September of 1973, Annalise told a physician named Dr. Luthi that she was having visions of Fratzen, the German word for ghastly demonic beings. Okay. okay. I just got the creeps. Yeah. Later that fall, she also stated to another physician that she was experiencing horrible stenches, which at the time... Things, smelling really nasty shit, basically. Yeah which at the time only she herself could smell. Later, however, others in her family and the priests who performed the exorcisms would also smell the horrid stench during the time she was losing consciousness and being overtaken by the demon. They say it was like hellfire and brimstone or some shit like that. Just super scary. Or like shit. Or like straight shit. Gross. Anyway, super scary. Go ahead. Yeah, the smell of shit is pretty scary, so I wouldn't mess with that. Um... Without going into all the details of her possession and exorcism, it's fine. We're eventually given permission by the local bishop to perform the rite of exorcism upon Annalise after providing numerous proofs of her possession. So it took a while before they were able to actually... Wait, let me interject. So, aggression, self-injury, she drank her own urine, and she ate insects. That's when they're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, let's let's get some treatment for this girl. Yeah, that's not normal behaviors. <laughs> no. What I understand, she suffered a number of seizures. Um, and that was initially what led to this depression and seizures. So they thought maybe she had epilepsy. Um, she was having convulsions and she was actually diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Um, so she clearly had some very serious health issues going on and she kept suffering these very severe seizures. Um, and they kept drugging her up with all these anti-convulsion drugs and all this other stuff. And who knows what these things all did to her, um, and including treating her, but also maybe exacerbating some of her symptoms. But they, at the time they were prescribing her, she began describing seeing devil faces. And she wouldn't go into churches. And she, they took her on this trip, and she wouldn't go into the shrine that they went to and said that, you know, she was cursed and damned and she couldn't go in there and she couldn't look at medals or pictures of saints. She just couldn't stand it. So she just, it it seems like she has some pretty classic schizophrenia symptoms with disturbed behavior and delusions. Well, it's, if you look her up on, um, on Wikipedia, it says, it talks about, the it it talks about it from a different 
direct standpoint um, than the article that I was just reading. And it says she was diagnosed with epileptic psychosis, a.k.a. temporal lobe epilepsy, and had a history of psychiatric treatment, which was overall not effective. Well, you know, I mean, back then, the treatment for mental illness was like, hey, let's give them some shock therapy or just, like, well, load them up on these the, crazy the, the, antipsychotic about, drugs. Well, this talks about some, they gave her actual medication when uh, Michelle, Michelle Mikkel, whatever, was Mikkel. 16. She experienced a seizure and was, oh, wait, I'm past that. Um, by the time she was 20, she had become intolerant of various religious objects and began to hear voices. Her condition worsened despite medication, and she became suicidal, also displaying other symptoms for which she took medication as well. After taking psychiatric medications for five years failed to improve her symptoms, Michael and her family became convinced she was possessed by a demon. As a result, her family appealed to the Catholic Church for exorcism, while rejected at first, after much hesitation, two priests got permission from the local bishop in 1975. So she went through all this for a long period of time before they were like, okay, let's try to exercise this thing. Annalise Michael stopped eating food and died due to malnourishment and dehydration. Michael's parents and the two Roman Catholic priests were found guilty of negligent homicide. See, after all that, that would be horrible. Well, what's interesting is it says that these priests basically went in, met her, and on seeing her, they declared, oh, she didn't look like an epileptic. We didn't see her having any seizures. She's not a ep- epileptic. She says demonic possession. Let's do this. So <laughs> basically diagnosing her on their own, and because they didn't see her have a seizure and said she didn't, quote, unquote, look like an epileptic, although what the hell does an epileptic look like? I mean, That is a you good look question. Like but it just really seems like they saw what they wanted to see. And pretty much took this to a whole different level of scariness. And the the thought of all this is just horrifying. That she's being, you know, all this these things are happening to her, and she's not being well, treated. It and, sounds like she was raised in a pretty religious family. Yeah. Um. She was. It says that she was. Her parents took her to mass. She was religious and went to mass twice a week. Um, her classmates later described her as withdrawn and very religious. The psychiatric treatment, it looks like they named some drugs that they gave her. They gave her Dilaton, Alep. I'm not even sure that back then they give the same things that they give now for the same, for schizophrenia. It's just, it's horrifying because... Well, the drugs back then were definitely different, and it makes you wonder, and here's the thing, and what I've, in the medical field, I've worked in the medical field for quite a while, and one of the things that, uh, I worked with patients with head injuries, and um, I had had several conversations with the nurse about the different um, drugs that they were giving the patients, because they were, a, a lot of the patients were seeing things, there was hallucinations, they were agitated, they um, had all these different uh, things happening with them, and they would give them these medications, but the thing was, is they would have to go through different medications to find the right ones for their body chemistry, 
So, so the treatment can take ages to like build the right combination, right? Right. And what I also and 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 if you take, I don't know if you've ever taken an antidepressant, but there's also a disclaimer on the antidepressant that you could have the opposite effect yeah. when you take that medication. It could have a, a, a make things worse or make you want to die or commit suicide. It will say specifically, if you feel like committing suicide, stop taking this drug and call your doctor. You know, like there's medical yeah. disclaimers on these things. So it's super creepy. It could have, these medications could have, you know, exacerbated it. May, it could have magnified the problem. What I so thought was a particularly knows. interesting point in this was that the priests said the demons identified themselves as Lucifer, Cain, Judas, Iscariot, Hitler, and Nero, among others. <laughs> so, like, you just pick like the most evil people in history, and like, oh shit, she's just she's dominated and controlled by these guys. Well, what would make her so special that Lucifer himself would be like, yeah? I think I'm going to talk to you. I don't know. It just I got the chills just thinking about it. Like, how, <laughs> how the hell would she know what Judas or Hitler or Nero was thinking or saying? And how do they know that they were those people? It just seems like it could have been stuff that she made. I mean, who freaking knows? Just baffles the mind to even consider any of this. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, it's creepy to think. Those are, I mean, those are bad those are yeah i mean evil but the fact hitler, is i love how they they refer to hitler as a demon because he was pretty evil but they said when she died she weighed 68 pounds and she had suffered broken knees due to continuous genuflections so she was constantly being forced onto her knees to pray and she was unable to move without assistance and was reported to have contracted pneumonia so if you look at these pictures of her and what they did to her during this exorcism, it, it, it's absolutely horrific. They were well, how much of that. it was like they did it to her and how much is, is was because of the She couldn't the, move on the, her own. How could she have done it to herself, right? Right. And that's how much of it was they were forcing her to get down on her knees to pray and how much of it was she was actually unable to have control over her limbs i mean it sounds like by the end she was really out of it yeah and i think that was kind of taken advantage of a little bit which is even more terrifying well i think that's why they were brought to trial because there was concern that how much of it was their fault right but i think that that was kind of like a slap on the wrist rather than a true um punishment so to speak Right, because I think that they eventually ended up, I think I read that they eventually, the parents, of all of them kind of got off easy because the whole, going through this experience itself was punishment enough. Yeah, well, I think is what I read. So many different people contributed to that perfect storm that, you know, for them to punish the parents, yeah, the parents had a lot of responsibility for this, and they should not have let this happen to their daughter, but I think there were so many different people involved that it's just like, how do you punish all those people for misdiagnosing, for mistreating, for mishandling, for abusing? Like, it, it's it's a really frightening thing that this was allowed to happen to this young woman, and I'm so glad that we've made advances 
And granted, we're not where we need to be yet, but we've made enough advances that this kind of stuff, it's a lot more rare to hear stories like this. Yeah, and it looks like the church eventually changed its position and stated that she was mentally ill and not possessed. Yeah, yeah, well, they had to. <laughs> I think the whole concept and, and outlook on exorcisms has changed dramatically um, since then. I don't believe they do those. Well, then they're saying it says that uh, Michael's case showed demonic possession as a variation of multiple personality disorder and disassociative identity disorder. So they actually like are giving her a formal diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know if you've met any any people with the uh, multiple personality disorder. No. I did watch United States of Terror. I did watch United States of Terror, and that was very interesting. (laughs) Talking about multiple personalities. I have met people. I've met a couple people, um, and there was a girl in high school that I went to school with that had multiple personality disorder, and it was so strange because one minute you're talking to somebody, and then you're talking to somebody different. Yeah. It, it's a and it's really unnerving. Maybe we'll talk about that on a, a further episode somewhere down the line. Um, so truly a lot of stuff going on with this to break this article down for this young young woman. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap up that particular portion of it if you don't have anything else to add about Miss Annalise Mickle or Michael. No, I was just gonna. The only thing I was gonna else I was gonna say is how horrible that must have been for the family, regardless of whether it was mental illness or demon possession or whatever it was. Um, what a horrible thing for a family to have to experience. Yeah, well, I think they caused a lot of it. They brought a lot of it on this poor young woman. But I can't even imagine being her and having that kind of abuse forced upon you. But um. I'm going to jump in at this halftime point. Um, that, that means it's time for us to talk about what's going on in the current news. And I found an article um, in the news today about um, the conviction of Michelle Carter. And I don't know if you are aware of this particular case, but the title of, I found this on Yahoo News, and it's by Nina Golgowski, and it's, it's called Court Upholds Conviction of Michelle Carter in Texas Sui- Texting Suicide Case. So this was the young woman who urged her boyfriend to kill himself via text. But um, this whole thing went down, I think, a couple of years ago. But yeah, the article is, you remember hearing about it? Yeah. Um, a Massachusetts woman who was convicted of coercing her boyfriend over text messages into killing himself will serve her full sentence following a ruling on Wednesday by the state's high court. Michelle Carter's 15-month sentence. She got 15 months. That's it. What? So that was handed down in 2017 for involuntary manslaughter. Has been placed on hold as the Supreme Judicial Court reviewed her appeal. The following defense. This followed the defense arguing that her verbal conduct was protected free speech under the Constitution's First Amendment and that Conrad Roy III's death in 2014 was caused by his own actions. Okay, so the court ultimately affirmed that Carter's repeat urging of a vulnerable person to kill himself, even as he expressed reluctance, caused his death. The crime of involuntary manslaughter 
prescribes reckless or wanton conduct causing the death of another. The statute makes no reference to restricting or regulating speech, let alone speech of a particular content or viewpoint, the court stated in its ruling Wednesday. We are therefore not punishing words alone, as the defendant claims, but reckless or wanton words causing death. The evidence against the defendant proved that by her wanton or reckless conduct, she caused the death, the victim's death by suicide. The 22-year-old has been allowed to remain free while the court reviewed her case. Carter was 17 when she urged 18-year-old Roy, who was suicidal at the time, to kill himself with carbon monoxide from his pickup truck in a Fairhaven parking lot in July of 2014. Oh my gosh, how messed up is that? When Roy had second thoughts about doing it, Carter texted him to get back in his truck and complete what he had set out to do. No more pushing it off. No more waiting, she at one point texted him. When Roy expressed concern about how his family would handle his death, Carter told him they would get over it and move on, quote-unquote. Text messages shared by the Supreme Judicial Court showed all this. What the hell is wrong with this This is what she says. They won't be in depression. I won't let that happen. They know how sad you are, and they know you'll be doing this to be happy. And I think they will understand and accept it, she said. The time is right, and you're ready. You just need to do it. You can't keep living this way. So she was convicted of involuntary manslaughter in 2017 in order to serve 15 months of a 2.5-year sentence. She also faces a $4.2 billion wrongful death lawsuit in Norfolk County Superior Court that was brought by Roy's mother. So I find it particularly interesting that she was convicted of involuntary manslaughter, which is not a murder, obviously. Um, But she only got 2.5 years, and she was only ordered to serve 15 months of it, and she's bitching. And she'll probably only serve half of that. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. She, just the, the evidence that was compiled against her. Yeah, because these, these are the kind of people we want walking along the streets. And this girl is just awful. And you see these pictures of her and she's crying and she's just like, oh, I'm going to spend this time in prison. Do you realize what you did? Do you realize the severity of your actions? This is just abhorrent to me. That this young woman was out, and she was allowed to be out while her case was pending. This is just another another example of the youth today and how they have no concept of how their actions impact others. And there's just no sensitivity, no feeling of empathy, just awful. Well, how much of that is parenting, too. Yeah, absolutely. Because empathy is taught. No, but I think that there are some people... And that's, you know, the argument with psychopaths, that they just, they don't have empathy. They're born without that. They just, they can't experience it. That kind of leads me back to mental disorders and how much of that is chemical. Like, they're born chemically imbalanced and they just don't, and they can't develop those emotions and feelings. Right. But I feel like there's there's just different levels of it. And some people experience that at a much more severe level, like a Ted Bundy kind of a level versus this girl, Chris Michelle Carter, who, Oh, did you see that they're going to make a new movie? They're making a new movie about Ted Bundy and Zac Efron is going to be, there's a lot of stuff going on about Ted Bundy right now. I saw that, but there was also a new documentary that just came out. I believe it's on Netflix about Ted Bundy. And to be quite honest with you, I don't really believe in watching those. I'm, I've always been interested in the case in particular, but I feel as though 
continuing to make movies and shows and, and books and things about this man just continues to build his legacy, continues to keep him as a star, to make him into a movie star type figure. And I just uh, don't think yeah, it's right. and I read about I his race, and it's very disturbing. I'm sure we'll cover it at some point on the show because but. there there were so many women that like would send him fan mail. He thought he was a celebrity, and the thing is that many of these serial killers he was. feel like they're larger than life, and I think the fact that we continue to sort of glamorize him and continuously bring his name up and, and talk about him is just disgusting because it continues to sort of let that happen. It continues to bring him up over and over and over again so that that 15 minutes of fame that he may have had at the time is now extend, extended to 30, 40 years. That's ridiculous. Wonderful. Not only that, but how many kids are, are like, seeing that, and then they're like, ooh, I want to be famous. And, you know, we're talking about the victims. Like, I'd much rather hear the stories of the victims and, and hear their names and forget yeah. his name. Let's erase yeah. his name. Yeah. Because he was a sick, disgusting, mentally ill, awful person, and yet we are sort of putting him up on this pedestal and telling his story over and over and over again as though he's a superstar. Yeah, it's pretty I don't scary. need to see it, and I don't need to see any of these other movies. I'm, I'm mildly interested in Zac Efron portraying him just because he's been such a charming kind of young man actor. Well, I think that's the point because from you know the cases they said Ted Bundy was really a charming person. Yeah, well, he was a psychopath, so yeah. not surprising. <laughs> So I found this other article in the news that I thought was particularly interesting called Ghost Disease in North Korea. And um, it's kind of a current event, a current thing that's going on there right now. But um, it came out, let's see, it was an NBC News article um, by Bruce Harrison. And it's called North Korean defectors say nuclear tests have ravaged their health. So... Defectors who lived in North Korea's nuclear testing site say they believe they are suffering from exposure to radiation and fear for the health of family members still living there. Standing about five feet tall, Lee Jung-kwa walks with a slight limp. Middle-aged with an ashen gray complexion and deep-set dark brown eyes, Lee says she's in constant pain. But back home, things are much worse, she says. So many people died, we began calling it ghost disease. We thought we were dying because we were poor and we ate badly. Now we know it was radiation. As Lee rubs her sore right leg in the office of SAND, a non-governmental organization in Seoul that advocates human rights in North Korea, she recounted how she was caught trying to flee the country in 2003. She eventually escaped in 2010 from her home um, in North Korea's nuclear testing site. I can't even pronounce it, but it's P-U-N-G-G-Y-E-R-I. A mm-hmm. South Korean official points to a screen showing seismic waves from an artificial earthquake in North Korea on September 3rd. They were triggered by North Korea's sixth nuclear test. During the, seven, so the last seven years, Lee lived in North Korea. The leader at the time, Kim Jong-il, or Kim Jong II, tested, detonated two nuclear bombs near her home. Since Kim's death in 2011, his son and heir, Kim Jong-un, has tested four more. He claimed the one tested in September was a hydrogen bomb. So this was 2017, by the way. 
Um, according to the World Health Organization, radiation can impair the function of tissues and organs depending on the level of exposure. At lower doses, it says there's a long-term risk of cancer. Lee and other defectors are adamant that these tests have been detrimental, have had a detrimental effect on their health. The scientific evidence and expert opinion, however, is not so conclusive. South Korea's Minister of Unification has been testing Lee and 29 other defectors for nuclear contamination. Lee told NBC News that her test results have already come back and they're clean. Aside from the testimony of Lee and others, it's hard to verify radiation as the cause of widespread illness like leukemia and other cancers that defectors say have been ravaging them. Um, so a professor of nuclear engineering at Seoul National University says the reality is that researchers are suffering from a lack of data. I don't think they're lying, they say. We have to take their word, but I don't have much reliable information. A spokesman for the Korean Institute of Nuclear Safety told NBC News it is assumed that exposure to radioactive materials from the underground test site is excessive, but it's difficult to confirm. So they say that basically many people had no idea that North Korea was even testing nuclear devices for many years, um, that they ignored the tremors and only discovered the truth after many of these defectors began fleeing and getting out. Rhee, who is in her 60s and defected in 2013, says she's lived just a few miles from the test site and that her neighbors gave birth to a deformed baby. She couldn't remember the gender of the baby because it didn't have any genitals. In North Korea, deformed babies are usually killed, so the parents killed the baby. Rhee, some of Rhee and Lee's claims of radiation exposure date back to the 1990s and even the 80s, raising questions about whether some other, something other than a nuclear test site could have contaminated the environment and made people sick. While the country's first nuclear test wasn't until 2006, the defectors tell stories of trout dying in the mountain streams and the area's prized pine mushrooms disappearing long before that. Um, certain other people have suggested the military activity in the years leading up to the test could explain contamination in the area. But Farinik Dalnaki Veres, a scientist in residence of the James Martin Carter for Neo proliferation studies in Monterey, California, has doubts that radiation damaged the environment and residents' health. He said that if any radioactive material had leaked, even from a reported tunnel collapse this month following the sixth test, powerful sensors in the region that sniff the atmosphere would have detected it. The same goes for previous tests. Days after the sixth test, the, North Korean, or the South Korean government announced that it detected trace amounts of radioactive xenon, though it never said conclusively where it came from. Farinick says it's very unlikely that it came from this test site. He's also skeptical of groundwater contamination. Testing near water-saturated rock, he says, could build up stream vent contaminants into the air. That, he says, is no one's interest. Both Lee and, and Rhee have kept in touch with their families when they can, using cell phones smuggled into North Korea from China. Rhee says her family is sick with headaches and vomiting, but no medicine helps. She's surprised that, her new, that in her new home, even the rights of animals are protected. But back in North Korea, she says the health of people is ignored. So this is very interesting, um, given that I don't know how much you know about the North Korea and what's going on there. There's some really interesting articles um, out there right now in relation to that. And given that the leaders in that particular country have kept things so tight-lipped through the years, um, not allowing reporters in, not allowing people to take pictures, and now all these people with cell phones and tourists that are coming in and, and saying one thing are filming this and taking these illegally taking these pictures of things that people had no idea were going on. Like, 
starvation and, and inability to get um, modern computer equipment and just it is really scary how much propaganda has built up around this country, making it look like everything is so perfect and organized and well-structured and well-funded when in fact it's near collapse is what a lot of people are saying about North Korea. That's scary. How scary for those people that are going through that. And, you know, they have been doing the nuclear testing and, and I think that their leader there has not been shy about letting people know. Um, so, uh, it's terrifying that these people are getting sick too, but uh, the fact that they're unable to pinpoint it conclusively by any one party is also kind of scary as well. So did you have another yeah. article to share tonight or was that it for you? Sickness, the ghost sickness. Hold on, I have to pull it back up. So the ghost sickness is a cultural belief among some traditional indigenous people in North America, notably the Navajo and some must, uh, I'm going to, I don't want to brutalize this, but Muscogee and Plains cultures, as well as among Polynesian people. People who are preoccupied and or consumed by the diseased are believed to suffer from ghost sickness. Reported symptoms can include general weakness, loss of appetite, suffocation feelings, reoccurring nightmares, and pervasive feeling of terror. The sickness is attributed to ghosts or occasionally to witches or witchcraft. Children are thought to be especially at risk of being affected because they are not as attached to their new bodies. Wow. The cultural background is that in the Muskogee culture, it is believed that everyone is a part of an energy called Ibofenga. This energy supposedly results from the flow between mind, body, and spirit. Illness can result from this flow being disrupted. Therefore, their medicine is used to prevent or treat an obstruction and restore the peaceful flow of energy within a person. Purification rituals for mourning focus on preventing unnatural or prolonged emotional and physical drain. It almost reminds me of the 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 uh, Annalise Mitchell one where Michael, Michael? <laughs> where, uh, you know what I mean? Where they're like trying to exercise the demon. It seems like they have their own kind of. Well, I think each culture has exorcism. their own sort of little forms there. Yeah. The grief resolution process for traditional Native Americans are qualitatively different than those usually seen in mainstream Western cultures. In 1881, there was a federal ban on some of the traditional mourning rituals practiced by the Lakata and other tribes. Lakata ex expert Maria so Yellow Horse Lakata Braveheart. Or Lakota. 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 How's it, how's it spelled? L A K O T A. Lakota. Proposes that the loss of these rituals may have caused the Lakota to be further predisposed to the development of pathological grief. Some manifestations of, of unresolved grief include seeking visions of the spirits of deceased relatives, obsessive reminiscing, 
reminiscing, sorry, pardon me, about the disease, longing for and believing in a reunion with the deceased, fantasies of reappearance of the deceased, and belief in one's ability to project oneself, project oneself to the past or to the future. Wow. So this is ghost illness? What's it yeah, it's a ghost sickness. And where did you get this article? Uh, I pulled this off of Wikipedia. Ghost sickness. It's a very interesting concept. Yeah, it, it talks of, and it says the cause. There are a variety of mainstream psychological theories about ghost sickness. It states, uh, Poots states that spirits or ghosts may be viewed or being directly or indirectly linked to the cause of an event, accident, or illness. Both Erickson and McGregor report substantial substantiating evidence of psychological trauma response and ghost sickness with features including withdrawal and psychic numbing anxiety and hypervigilance guilt identification with ancestral pain and death and chronic sadness and depression so it sounds like a mental disorder yeah and the thing is like i think the media just in general speaks so infrequently about other cultures as far as, um, and even natives to this land, to where we are here in America. Um, they mm-hmm. just, you don't hear a lot of stuff about it, which is why I found this particular illness and talk about it interesting and unique. It's just not something that's discussed or brought up. No, I, I mean, and I had never heard about it until I, I had looked it up. And it is quite fascinating concept to think about. Well, and then different cultures have different ways of processing grief and processing emotion and different ways of viewing mental illness as well, which I think this sort of um, shows the, the nature of the article. Well, then it says that the treatment in these cultures is religious leaders within the Navajo tribe repeatedly perform ceremonies to eliminate the all-consuming thoughts of the dead. So ceremonies, they, they take charge and they'll do a ceremony to try to help these folks through this. Which is probably better than what we do now here. Yeah. Well, I mean, who are we to say what's right and wrong and... What works well, I'm just saying work, so. is we don't do, you know, when we lose somebody in our culture, we don't really do much. We just are expected to grieve and get over it. Yeah. But in, in this culture, they have ceremonies to, to help work through it. Which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah. Which kind of goes to show that our culture is kind of a little backwards. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap the show up for today. This is the point where we get in there and say goodbye for now. So long, farewell, rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, we encourage you to go ahead and send us an email. We love your emails. We love um, any corrections you have for us as well. I know that it's certainly not perfect when we discuss things on the show, but we do our best to try to do our research and and, and speak to some of the, these things that are in the news. Um, please join us again next week. Um, if you would like to send us an email, you can send it to Hypochondriacs Almanac 
That's H-Y-P-O-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-A-C-S-A-L-M-A-N-A-C at gmail.com. I know it's a long one, but it's hypochondriacsalmanac at gmail.com. Um, please join us again when we next week when we talk more about strange medical news, conditions, and treatments. Good night, podcast peeps. We hope that you stay healthy, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye. Bye. Bye.